Hey everyone, uh, the Fight Sites MMA podcast back. Uh, this week has been a continuing one for technical issues and it didn't stop with this podcast. Uh, but this is the second recording and uh, we're here to talk about UFC pay-per-view UFC 264 Poirier McGregor 3, which ended hilariously and had uh, all-around positive outcomes, I'd say. Uh, and look forward to the card that Max Holloway was supposed to headline with Yaya Rodriguez. So basically, Max Holloway was supposed to headline by himself, uh, and this time headline by Islam Mahachev versus Tiago Moises uh, in his stead. So I'm here yeah, with he was supposed to. Yeah. He was supposed to basically just shadow box in the cage, and that would be the main event because that—that's essentially what every Max Holloway fight is at this stage. Pretty that, much. That's, that that doesn't feature Volkanovski, but yeah. yeah. Hey, hey everyone, I'm Miggy, uh, aka Tuman. In case you didn't notice. <laughs> yeah, uh, Yaya Rodriguez wasn't going to do anything to change that situation. Really, there was like no way he would. So that's our breakdown of that fight. If it ever happens, hope it doesn't. Uh, but. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, might as well. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> waste of a camp. Waste of a camp, waste of a cut. Um, yeah, I mean, Max beating up Yaya Rodriguez would also be fun. It's just that someone else deserves to get beat up by Max a lot more. Uh, oh, true. True. But, yeah, instead in of that, there's uh, Islam Mahachev, often considered like the de facto top five of the division, fighting someone who isn't really that highly regarded, and I guess this is a spoiler, probably shouldn't win this fight, but uh, it is compelling in his own way. So, first of all, let's go with the recaps. Um, Dustin Poirier, uh, go ahead. Yeah, Dustin Poirier uh, basically beat McGregor's ass, and then uh, <laughs> McGregor had a freak accident where he broke his own ankle. Well, not technically a freak accident because he was like kicking like a like a dumbass, like, like a lunatic. Just, yeah, non-stop, hard, naked low kicks to wherever he like paying no attention to where they landed, and so he basically essentially broke his own foot, and <laughs> and this gave the excuse to all the uh, Connor fans to post cope essentially. <laughs> And McGregor himself was the the biggest copium, the cope leader. Uh, of, yeah, the the copium overdose victim, <laughs> the the first one and the the worst one. It's a very serious condition, <laughs> but yeah, pretty much that's what happened. Dustin Poirier, we saw pretty much the dynamic that happened the last time, which is he's a lot better in the pocket when it comes to extended exchanges and especially leading against another southpaw. Um, McGregor struggled a lot kicking another southpaw. He didn't really like. It, it was a sort of bizarre sort of struggling where a lot of guys, if they don't get an easy target, they just don't kick. Conor McGregor just kicked whatever hard target he could find, trying to just blast the fuck through it. Um, it's not really a thing that you can do even normally. And when it turns out that your leg is like, according to him, has several stress fractures before going in, which I don't buy for a second. But if he bought that, uh, it, it would not be a thing that he would be doing, just kicking hard anywhere. Yeah, that's basically. Basically, Connor telling on himself <laughs> in that he just that has no idea how to kick and that he's just uh, an idiot. It's like, <laughs> like, why would you do that? <laughs> it's like either my leg has no excuse for breaking, or I'm just a massive, f I'm just a dullard. I, I should not be fighting. <laughs> I, I don't like, have the mental capacity to be sanctioned. Like one thing that uh, like uh, that uh, came to my attention in the aftermath of the fight is that if you go back and watch that second Nate Diaz fight where he also threw tons of leg kicks early on at least at the end of that fight he had to walk on crutches <laughs> and he was like oh Nate Diaz just chucked chuck tons of my kicks and like if you go back and watch that fight it's Nate Diaz first of all he doesn't check kicks and if you go back and watch that fight he didn't check kicks <laughs> Conor McGregor once again basically fucked up his own leg 
Uh, <laughs> he's got the Sean O'Malley energy, and we'll get to Sean O'Malley himself later. Uh, oh, but, yeah. Yeah, it's especially with the kicks, kicking another southpaw is something that, like, a lot of McGregor's kicking arsenal, we went through this on the pre-fight show even, uh, is that a lot of his kicking is tuned around open stance, which means that he's able to kick right into the open side, to the body or to the head, or kick straight to the body, and a lot of that benefits from not having to deal with the lead shoulder in the way, or the guy's arms being in the way for the front kick. Uh, at least as much. Like, it's not as small a target that you have to, like, sneak the kick through. Uh, here, he was kicking just as enthusiastically, which, I mean, it's it tends to be something that we, we're like, even if you're bad at kicking, it's worth a shot against a lot of fighters. But if you're going to break your own leg doing it, it obviously is not worth a shot. Yeah, um, and also, we also pointed, pointed out on the preview that uh, against a fellow, a fellow Southpaw in Dennis Siva, uh, Connor tried to employ, like, uh, spin kicks to cut off his uh, escape routes and just uh, corral him back into that uh, left hand of his. But uh, he tried doing that in this fight, but he mostly just... Uh, it was mostly just used um, as a cage-cutting tool more yeah. than a damaging tool, and uh, it didn't really like connect in a really meaningful way. And uh, like a funny way of thinking about it was uh, that Connor was trying to do the same kick that he did against Dennis Siva, but forgot that Dustin Poirier is actually normal sized <laughs> and not a midget. <laughs> so it kind of sort of connected on the elbow, connected on the like uh, the wide part of the back. I basically just did negligible damage for for all the energy that he expended trying to do it. Yeah, that's the other tricky part about the kick heavy game is that like I you could tell in the beginning of the fight he came out like actively trying to invoke the first fight where he threw like the hook kick right at the beginning of that first fight and here mm -hmm. he throws a spinning back kick just trying to bully Dustin around the cage and take away his confidence. The issue is that Dustin's confidence is tough to break in a striking fight at this point. Um, yeah, like unless you're Habib and you possess some kind of like insane advantage in one area of the fight, it's, it's, you're not going to break uh, Dustin Poirier's confidence at this point. Just, yeah. Just give it up. <laughs> I mean, it's the sort of thing where, like, Conor McGregor, he he was going to really run up against the obstacle of his own lungs way before Dustin would run up against, like, <laughs> his heart. Th that's what the battle was here. And Dustin Poirier was not going to break here. Um, but, like, if he used the spinning kick as more of a cage-cutting tool, I'd kind of agree. It's just also that, like, he threw two of them at the very beginning of the fight, and I don't think he ever went back to him. So it's like he was just trying to psych Dustin out and just <laughs> not do anything with him. Like, I noted right after the fight that a lot of uh, McGregor's struggles in the second fight, the rematch where Poirier knocked him out, was uh, that he couldn't really enter range without the, ki uh, the catch-and-pitch counter right hook or the counter jab. And here, I would assume that if you're training to kick Poirier who is a lot more durable than you and has shown the ability to tank just ungodly amounts of damage to the body against Holloway and Hooker, you're not going to actually try to chip away at his cardio when you're Conor McGregor. Because what it's you're doing... It's such a bizarre game plan just yeah. overall. It's like what you're doing is you're taking this guy with like 120 minutes of cardio, taking it down to 100 minutes, which doesn't help you one bit, when you yourself <laughs> can only do that for seven minutes and need a knockout in that. Like, are you, like, one would think if you're going to kick Dustin Poirier, which is a very good game plan, because Poirier has been kickable in the past, especially by other southpaws, we saw that in the Jim Miller fight, you probably want to use it to deal damage, like, as entries. Like, you can punch off the kicks, use the threat of the kick to set other things up. Yeah, uh, it's not it's not just the kicks by themselves that's gonna, like, win you the fight. 
or it, it's not a be all end all. It's like a secret move that's gonna just that boy is gonna go. Oh, leg kicks, my only weakness, <laughs> <laughs> and just fall over. It's not gonna happen. Exactly, and it's the sort of thing where McGregor's game, like his kicking game, naturally sort of dovetailed with his boxing and and a southpaw orthodox fight, where the round kick played off the straight and the the front kick played off the round kick. But here, he was just like his kicking didn't really make any sense. And he didn't seem to think about how to make it make sense. He was just like, hey, I kicked Poirier last time. Let's just spam the shit out of it this time. Uh, even though like, I never really got close to winning that way. And all my success was with boxing that got taken away from me. So all around a baffling showing by McGregor. And we didn't even get to the guillotine pull. How about that? It's, 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 oh, God. Like, <laughs> think about it. Think about it. Just think about it. Let's look at Conor McGregor like his, uh, like, uh, like his camp situation and uh, his career overall, it essentially can be framed as as an immensely talented fighter somehow getting to the top with a camp that seems to think that the way to dissuade getting taken down is to jump <laughs> on the guillotine by yourself. And John Kavanagh, in the aftermath of the fight, came out and said by himself, he admitted to the guillotine being a specific adjustment that they were <laughs> drilling in camp in preparation for this fight. How fucking insane is that? Dude. Like, what the hell? It doesn't make any sense. Like, uh, it's, it's a problem that, funny enough, Dustin Poirier himself has had, right? We, we saw in the Khabib fight and even the Hooker yeah. fight until the very end. He wasn't using the guillotine to, like, get a guy off his hips and turn them around. He it's, was pulling it, guard. It's his worst move like, like an unironically idiot. it's D dustin poirier's guillotine is the worst move and uh like the conor mcgregor's camp sbg island and john kavanagh just looked at dustin poirier and uh, thought about oh hmm, he's a fellow southpaw he f uh, fights uh frequently fights other orthodox fighters and uh he's good at fighting other southpaws maybe we need to adapt something from him maybe we could learn like <laughs> In their brain, they went like, "Oh, like a smart person, I should learn from this fighter." What do I? What do I learn from this fighter? His worst move. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it's the sort of like I, I remember you said before the fight that Conor McGregor in his camp situation is—it's really similar to like a regional fighter at a regional yeah. camp who just happens to be really good. And I think the parallel you drew was Calvin Cater, which is like it gets mm -hmm. more interesting as, as as you look at this fight because I don't think Cater has ever been as like markedly self-destructively stupid. He's just been kind of ineffectual. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it, that's the thing. That's the major difference. Calvin Cater actually has some kind of like fundamental boxing game, you know, and uh, like uh, really like like a functional MMA game. He's like, oh. Uh, I'm gonna get good at this basic MMA stuff and uh, like merc dudes left and right on my regional scene. Conor McGregor was like went the opposite route. Uh, he was like, I have this amazing like I have these this amazing attribute advantage. I have this massive like like uh, an artillery piece of a left hand. What am I gonna do? I'm just gonna slap techniques on top of it and build a game that's centered solely around my my advantages that the advantages that I possess of a random guys from somewhere in the UK and <laughs> in the British Isles. Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of thing where, like, you could tell when McGregor's getting his fight, he's just stupendously good. But it's just so limited, and that's why it's like, that's why it works so well at Featherweight, where everyone's smaller and half the guys he fought were orthodox, and then you look at the lightweights, who are sometimes southpaw, and guys are like, well, that's not the real McGregor. Well, the real McGregor wouldn't have done any better here if that ever existed. And to even, like, extend the, the cater comparison a bit, like, I would say that camp is a lot better than SPG because they've created another fighter who 
is good, <laughs> who is any good whatsoever. Like we've seen, we've seen Rob Font do exactly the same things as Cater to some degree and find real success. And when you look at SBG Ireland, what's the next guy out? Like a top 20 welterweight in Gunnar Nelson who pretends to be Conor McGregor? Artem Lobov. Artem Lobov. James Gallagher. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, SBG Ireland, the way that I'd put it is that there are several very bad camps, but we tend to think of it like a bad camp in comparison to the great camps. Like, Henry Hooft is a great camp. ATT is a very good camp. Um, Trevor Whitman is a very good camp, even if they have, like, all of them have their flaws, right? But SBG Ireland goes well beyond us going, like, Jackson Wink is a terrible camp. SBG Ireland is a place where no elite fighter should be. If an elite fighter is at SBG Ireland, you just fade the crap out of them if you're a better. It just doesn't make any sense for you, because there is it's, no uh, one. It's like, uh, you know, like, the difference between, uh, let's say, like, how can you evaluate uh, how good a camp is? Like, the most uh, surefire way to s say that a camp is good is that it consistently produces fighters who get at least, consistently get to at least top 10. And, uh, like, uh, they may not necessarily have any, like, super prominent champions, but they have championship threats. And they have solid fighters who are able to do, like, uh, well, who have a grasp of the fundamentals of MMA and uh, can do well against a reasonable range of opponents. With SBJ Island, it's just Connor with his weird, like, <laughs> extremely, like, narrow game that only works f works for him if you are Connor McGregor. If you're not Connor McGregor, you're just going to suck. <laughs> and yeah. that's it. I mean, I think it's interesting because one thing, I think it was uh, Ryan who said this, is that one of the better ways to judge a camp is not is by explicitly ruling out the best absolute athletic freaks they have. Uh, because, like, if you look at, for yeah. instance, Nova Uniao, right? They had Jose Aldo, but how hard would you have to work to screw up Jose Aldo? That guy is, like, he, Jose Aldo could go anywhere and be really, really good. Maybe not as good as he is, but very good. But could SBG He can go Ireland... to SBG Island and he's going to be fine. Exactly. <laughs> but is SBG Island going to create Juicy Formiga out of the athlete that Juicy Formiga is? And I think the answer very clearly <laughs> is not at all. You send a flyweight like Juicy Formiga to SVG Ireland, and he will pretend to be long, throw a left hand, and <laughs> blade his stance like a complete idiot and not be able to do a damn thing. So, it's like... But, oh, but, 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 you know, the karate stance. <laughs> the karate stance is the serious, the, the secret weapon of SBG Ireland. <laughs> uh, the super secret uh, ancient martial arts that he blended together. He discarded what is useless and uh, took what is useful, like a modern day Bruce Lee. <laughs> That's what McGregor is. <laughs> yeah, just... I mean, it's just, it's really sad to see, too, just because, like, I'm not, I've never been a huge fan of McGregor, uh, but seeing that, like, he just put a picture up on his Twitter of, like, sitting in a fancy car with, like, his leg in a bucket of ice, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's the worst thing I've ever seen. It'd it, it make anyone sad. It's like, it's like watching someone you hate get mugged. You don't want that to happen to anybody, uh, but it's, dear Lord, like, I, uh, the way that Conor McGregor looks... At this point, when it comes to, like, first of all, the leg injury was nasty. And I don't know what exactly caused it. I don't think anyone does. I don't buy that it was fractures going in because, you know, like... Yeah, and it, it was also... It, it wasn't a singular, like, a check or a block or anything. Because the especially if you go back and watch the fight and look at the uh, individual, like, uh, sequences where McGregor was kicking. It wasn't like Dustin Poirier, like... <clears throat> uh, 
checked a really hard kick by just creating shin-on-shin contact. It wasn't that. And the sequence that Dustin Poirier pointed out, it's, it's McGregor basically landing with the... Uh, like the edge like, of his foot, yeah. Yeah, basically. Just and ankle so, fully extended. <clears throat> so it's uh, the only like natural explanation, the only explanation that, that makes sense is basically accumulative damage because uh, Connor was just kicking wherever and really hard. <laughs> yeah, so, it's, like, it's an act of God, but one that he deserved for the way that he was fighting, even going outside of the way that he acts in general. Uh, you know, the bruised foot thing with RDA, leg kicks don't hurt me, even though I can't recover from them in six whole months. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty much just, like, if he comes back from this looking even close to where he looked here, I'd be very surprised because these are pretty tough injuries to come back from. I believe it was a double fracture. Uh, so there's that. But even yeah. looking the way that he did here, I'm not really sure how many guys at lightweight who are like who I'd consider good I'd favor over him. Like I might be overcorrecting a bit. I've, I've definitely done that before. But if you look at Conor McGregor against someone like Paul Felder at this point, <laughs> what does that look like? Does Conor McGregor just beat the shit out of him for six minutes and then just break himself on Felder's body? Conor versus Dan Hooker. Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, Dan Hooker I... might have lost his chin at this point. That's very possible. But True. But also, Dan Hooker kicks really hard, <laughs> is actually good at kicking really hard, and uh, is tall as shit. He's like a, a half a head taller than McGregor. And McGregor That's is also like, true. Yeah. That's going to annoy him very badly. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like, if you, like uh, in our preview, uh, Zach Makovsky pointed out that uh, a really easy, a really simple adaptation that Conor McGregor could do that could win him the fight within the first round or within the first two rounds is to try and draw, like, uh, shitty entries out from uh, Dustin Poirier. And we saw in here, like, Dustin Poirier just, he, like... Connor connected a couple of times. Connor like uh, beat up his leg a like uh, a bunch, and then Dustin like realized, oh, I got got his timing now. Oh, this doesn't hurt me as much. Oh, fuck it! And then he just started shifting <laughs> on McGregor, just starting shift, started shifting on him and boxing him up. Especially in that sequence before the um, before McGregor initiated grappling because yeah, he got buzzed. Yeah, it's just. Everything behind a double jab, everything off a feint, every, everything off of like a, either a feint shift, either a feint, uh, feinted left hand, uh, lead hand, I'm sorry, and uh, really disciplined entries interspersed with just with these, his usual shifts. Granted, the shifts were like uh, a tad more disciplined than they used to be. Like it looked really tight the way he just entered on McGregor and uh, just... In the box, in the boxing itself, in the striking, in the hands themselves, like the way McGregor like threw out his strikes, his punches, they looked. Well, first of all, they didn't look as snappy as they used to be, and uh, second of all, McGregor just basically threw like these one twos and didn't move his head at all. And McGregor and uh, Dustin Poirier, conversely, he just constantly took an angle, constantly like sh uh, shifted his weight around. Yeah, taking his head offline to counter with the straight. That's yeah. That's something he did a bunch of times. Basically just more fluent boxing, more fluent striking on the feet, and don't get me started on the, on, on the, on the ground and pound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dustin Poirier just plain looked better everywhere in every phase of the fight. Yeah, there was, like, after this fight, and 
like in conjunction with the second fight. I don't think there's like I've seen people say that like oh Conor McGregor was an okay bet at plus. I don't believe that for a second. Conor McGregor would have to be like plus five hundred for me to touch him on, in, in like a fourth fight. Uh, but even there, I'd be very nervous and I'd come out looking like an idiot almost certainly. Uh, <laughs> it's the sort like we saw a lot of what Dustin Poirier did well in this fight, even with like how truncated it was and how weird of an ending it turned out to be. Uh, that flurry that Tuman mentioned, it was just brilliant. I loved it. Uh, he slipped outside McGregor straight and countered with his own and like convinced him to lo- get lower in his stance and get behind his shoulder, only to hit him with like this super clean uppercut. Uh, it was it was so nice. Dustin Poirier, when excellent. he's going, just it was awesome. Excellent, excellent shot selection. Just brilliant. Yeah, that's one and, thing uh, that Poirier's always excelled at too. The, the Holloway fight was brilliant for it. Yeah, and uh, Conor McGregor just doesn't have that in him when it comes to like really long exchanges that are yeah. just going on and on and on. Like uh, Dustin Poirier had uh, like look back at Dustin Poirier and Justin Gagey. Justin Gagey found his counters while being like just completely demolished yeah. with combinations <laughs> over and over again, and he still found the counters. Will Conor McGregor find the counters in that situation? Not after a punch. No. Like, I think that's the thing, is that Conor McGregor's game was so used to being insulated by his length and by the fact that guys had to cover so much distance to get to him. It, it's one or two punches at most. Uh, like, you had the Eddie Alvarez finish, but, you know, that was like a finish and Eddie was already dead. When Conor McGregor doesn't have full control of what's going on, it, it doesn't really work for him after a certain point. I mean, point. Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor too, the finishing flurry. Well, yes, Conor was buzzed, but uh, Conor was trying to slip and uh, roll under the the strikes. But essentially what happened is that Conor mistimed a duck and basically ducked onto this, like, uh, onto a right uppercut slash hook. This is what knocked him out because he just didn't have the composure for the pocket for, for for someone like Dustin unloading on him. And granted, not many people do, (laughs) but... But certain fighters were able to navigate this area, and uh, Conor just doesn't have the style for it. Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of thing where even, like, a a really sharp, composed backfoot fighter like Eddie Alvarez, he got overwhelmed several times by Dustin Poirier, so it's tough Mm -hmm. to, like, really blame someone who doesn't really love being on the backfoot like Conor McGregor to just get completely wrecked there. But on the other hand, like why were you in that position and it's because like you just got outboxed for that entire fight <laughs> like not an entire <laughs> one but you got outboxed for a good portion of that fight and at the very least Poirier figured out a lot of what you did uh, and McGregor didn't have any more answers here he didn't even come in with like that, that long lead uppercut that like it was so ugly but it worked the first time and that wasn't here this time uh he was pretty much just trying to snipe the left hand over the shoulder and it did not work whatsoever uh so yeah I guess yeah that's, and, uh... yeah yeah, and McGregor initiated grappling by himself after all the talk of uh, not counting some ambitions. <laughs> well, first of all, he said the first one to shoot or to initiate grappling is a dusty bitch. Initiates grappling. <laughs> Says uh, he doesn't count submissions as a win. Doesn't count as a legitimate win. Goes for a submission. <laughs> Says he's gonna, uh, Dustin Poirier is gonna leave the fight on a stretcher. Leaves on a stretcher. <laughs> I mean... It doesn't get better. You you can't make this shit up. You can't write this shit. People will tell you that you're a hack. <laughs> it's like it's straight up self-insert Mary Sue tier for what happened to Dustin Poirier <laughs> here. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, I mean, mean, and also for Rafael dos Anjos, who has a really good claim to be fighting Conor McGregor right now, because McGregor oh, also yeah. pulled out with a well, not pulled out, but lost the fight because uh, he had the bruised foot. So yeah, so uh, basically, Conor 
to just uh, touch briefly on the grappling situation, Connor initiates grappling, jumps on a shitty guillotine, does the does the classic MMA guillotine. It's not like like a, a really technical guillotine or like a high elbow guillotine, arm and guillotine, or a guillotine where you just secure the guard, where you jump guard and try to like at least have the guard to uh, add to the pressure you, that you have on the submission. Basically, just jumped and leaned back. <laughs> it was like it just, it just, it's like it, that's not gonna be sufficient against yeah. uh, against any against the grappler worth his salt. It's not gonna <laughs> be sufficient, and he didn't have it. Yeah, I and mean, people... it seemed like he kind of half-assed the guard pull too, where he just kind of like left one leg hanging yeah. over him and just fell it over. It wasn't full guard. It wasn't a full guard pull, and like fucking wall walk, man. <laughs> In the second fight, you had no problem wall walking. <laughs> even against uh, even against fucking Habib, he had some success wall walking. Yeah, you could just stall. Just stall. Just just try and get up, like, and this this whole idea. Oh, we, we're gonna threaten submissions to stave off takedowns. It's not two thousand and five anymore, <laughs> John Kavanagh. You're not gonna threaten like uh, submissions to make someone oh i'm not gonna take this guy, guy down anymore because i'm gonna get submitted especially if your submission is bad <laughs> <laughs> like what is this yeah. and so basically dustin just uh, pulled his head out because that's all he needed to do well he elevated his level which yeah. is something that uh connor stands were all like ah he cheated cheating bastard ah. <laughs> which first of all fucking co- pots Calling the kettle black. After <laughs> and, the Khabib uh, fight, yeah. Yeah, and uh, second of all, it's it's not in the rules that you can't defend submissions by elevating your level on defense. It's just not a criteria. It's not cheating. And then, and then, then Dustin basically just uh, punched Conor McGregor's head in and elbowed his head in for however many minutes before <laughs> before Conor once again tried to cheat <laughs> by shoving his entire hand. Down Dustin's glove, to which Dustin just basically responded by "fuck you," get up, and uh, started unloading on him, and that, that's when Conor McGregor just snapped his head, uh, lower half of his leg in half. <laughs> yeah, basically on the guillotine. By the time McGregor had Poirier all the way in his guard, he was only working with one arm, so it, it yeah. was never really a threat to like score. Uh, yeah, and Dustin is also like incredibly good for with uh, when it comes to like well, not incredibly good, but reasonably good with a grounded pound from the guard. Yeah. So, Connor... Uh, Connor just basically, like, in the span of one fight, had flashbacks to Nate Diaz, <laughs> Chad Mendes, <laughs> <laughs> Khabib Nurmagomedov, and the previous Dustin fight. <laughs> it's like a perfect storm of, like, PTSD <laughs> for Connor McGregor, this yeah. fight. I, McGregor seriously tried to like go for elbows from the bottom too. He just never really put himself in a position to do a ton of damage with them and landed on like the yeah. top of Dustin's head. Uh, like we've seen elbows from the bottom do a ton of damage. Like the best example I can think of was uh, Bisping GSP, but mm-hmm. McGregor wasn't he doing w- any of that. He wasn't like trying to slice Dustin's face off or like just uh, create some kind of cut or to interrupt his grounded pound. He was just basically trying to pound, uh, pound him out from bottom. Which is, I mean, it's in character for McGregor, because he, everything he does, he, it's like, there's no time and measure with the stuff he does outside of the uh, counters that he does. Outside everything else game. is just, 
yeah, everything else is just trying to blast the other guy out. Yeah, and uh, well, what else is there to say? What what what, what sort of adaptations Connor can do in the fourth fight? I can't see any. Yeah, I mean, he's that's the thing is that he's at such a physical disadvantage with like after seven minutes his window is closed. Like you're really working with how do you knock out the most durable guy at lightweight in seven after, minutes? Yeah, after that guy landed a heaping amount of damage on you. <laughs> throughout the uh, the two most recent fights. Yeah, it's like when you're a real confidence fighter, that's the sort of thing that really takes it away. And McGregor didn't really come up with any sort of solution to anything that happened in the second fight here. So, who knows? I mean, I think... I mean, just... Yeah. Uh, go check out our commentary for that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also, if you want to, like, uh, listen to the extended thoughts I have on the individual, like, sequences, technical sequences in the fight, just go back and listen to the Tank Rhythm that, uh, that I yep. have just released. Uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, also, I mean, to just uh, try to just summarize the whole thing, how poetic, just how <laughs> poetic everything is. It's perfect. perfect. It's it's uh, you couldn't make the shit up once again, and just the sheer fact that Conor McGregor is such a confidence fighter, he's like, um, it's like my granddad came into my room after the fight and they just said, Conor McGregor is a rooster, and I was like, what do you mean? And he said, uh, his whole game. Uh, so just is based around being larger, and uh, and I was like, "What do you mean? You mean like at featherweight when he was like uh, bigger than everyone else, like physically bigger?" And he uh, and my granddad is like, "No, <laughs> it's like when you wear a really huge coat to make yourself seem more jacked than he actually is." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, conversely, Dustin Poirier is the kind of guy who always had some kind of like um, confidence issues in every fight always seemed to be super anxious and that's what and this anxiety led to him fighting in a undisciplined and subpar sub fashion every time and right now Dustin Poirier through all the wars that he's been in while Conor McGregor was away from 2016 onwards doing whatever Dustin Poirier was fighting extremely steep hard opposition and he was in, in wars essentially every fight from that period onwards was a war and Dustin Poirier was able to build his own confidence, his real confidence. It's not like the the type of confidence that Conor McGregor has, where he's just like, oh, I'm invincible. Everything I do is just, uh, it's going to be perfect and it's going to hurt the other guy. No. Dustin Poirier just tried stuff. He, he made mistakes. Uh, he lost sometimes embarrassingly. He won extremely grueling fights. And this is just, just speaks to the like nature of the sport you can't just be uh you can't just sit on your laurels in the sport you have to constantly you, like <laughs> uh Habib Nurmagomedov recorded an interview with Brett Okamoto the other day and he basically said the same thing uh <laughs> just uh, way more succinct <laughs> let's put it that way he said you need to every day compete <laughs> you, you you don't become champion and, and drink whiskey every day <laughs> you have to every day compete lion. <laughs> you have to fight lion every day. <laughs> fight beers. <laughs> fight lion. Fight wolf. <laughs> fight I... big jacked guy. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much exactly the way that Poirier built his rise. Is the the paid in yeah. full. You know, I, I work super hard and I I fight everybody. Uh, Conor McGregor, like he got to success really really early in his career, all things considered. And at this point, it's it's pretty. If it hasn't 
gone down steeply. It's certainly plateaued. So I think that's really all there is to say about a one-one fight. We've dragged it out six times longer than it actually was. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, it was great, man. That was that was awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, couple- both oh, all the fights, all the fights, really short, but also really violent and really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is the the longest one that we're probably going to talk about is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus Gilbert Burns. Uh, a lot of us were very very pessimistic for Gilbert Burns in this fight, uh, even though I think some of us were rooting for him. Um, you know, Burns. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ed ahead. also really nailed the dynamic of this fight. Have to yeah, point out for sure. Uh, Ed pretty much <laughs> called exactly how it'd go from like the very beginning, uh, and I mean it's the sort of thing where I think the big cage plus Gilbert Burns not really being the sort of dedicated well not dedicated but the sort of disciplined uh you know patient pressure that we'd like to see face wonder boy if mm-hmm. you're a cage wrestler mm-hmm. uh, it's tough to trust him to like walk through the counters or like you know well not walk through the counters but not draw the counters if that makes sense walking back to the fence and fence wrestle him without getting countered hard uh but burns managed it just by understanding where he was in the fence pushing wonder boy back to the fence uh, with like these really long single legs at the beginning uh, or like building off the limp yeah. leg, and just and really he, strong cage wrestling. Go ahead. Yeah, he did uh, give us a couple of scares there on the feet. <laughs> yeah. He did get tagged a couple of times, and he also like uh, made me feel really iffy by the way he was trying to set up his entries, uh, his wrestling entries. He basically just mimicked uh, Wonder Boy's stunts, <laughs> the karate <laughs> bouncing stuff, and uh, tried like shifting in with really huge hooks. And uh, it's kind of like... Normally, that would be uh, a not a very smart way to enter on the takedown. But uh, the thing is, uh, it's kind of like if you go back and watch the Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor, the second fight, uh, Dustin Poirier masked his uh, takedown entries with his shifts. And this is what it's kind of like what Gilbert Burns was able to do here. Yeah, he had some nice shifting right hooks as um, Wonderboy was like circling in the cage and a bit too worried about the takedown entry. And it really helped that the first takedown was like so long and had such like a, it was a really clean penetration step from him. Uh, he mm-hmm. just like really slid in from like across the fence and just pushed from across the cage and pushed him to the fence. Uh, so Wonderboy obviously had to be very wary. And when uh, Burns like shifted in, he was way too worried about that to really deal with the right hook consistently. <clears throat> uh, the fence wrestling was actually super interesting. We saw. Uh, Burns build off, A, the limp leg that he dealt with in the, in the second round. Uh, Wonderboy, like, limp leg, but without really putting a ton of pressure on his head. So Burns, the second time, just, like, kind of came up on his back when Wonderboy tried it. Uh, and he did a nice job building off uh, the, the outside trip as well. Like, early in the fight, Burns was trying it. Like, he got in on the, the, the double, um, came up to the upper body, tried to trip him. Wonderboy just stepped down. And in the third round, after that, you know, get, getting the back off the limp leg, he stepped outside, drew the outside trip uh, response, which is to step across, and just didn't stop blocking the leg. He moved it across as uh, Wonderboy narrowed his base to step out and just pulled him over the block to get that takedown. So it was really nice. Uh, Burns with, I think that's one weird thing about Burns is I don't think we've ever thought of him as as smart a fighter as he's turned out to be. Yeah. But really early in all of these fights, he's had sharp, sharp reads that have limited two of the last three opponents he's faced. And the, la- the third guy, he's just a pound-for-pound pound talent. You're, you're not beating Kamaru Usman if you're Gilbert Burns. But yeah. he, did, he, he gave it as good a go as anyone could. I mean, that's that's just a uh, uh, Hoftian fighters, basically, in a nutshell. Yeah. They may not be really, like, uh, masterful in any area of the fight. And they may not be, like, super technical or whatever. They may not have the sharpest form. Or may not have... Uh, 
like a really huge advantage in one area of the fight, but they still they mix the martial arts reasonably well enough that uh, with uh, the proper adaptations they they're able to win against uh, fairly difficult matchups. Yeah, I mean that's the way I'd put it is that they always understand where their advantage lies. Um, Gilbert Burns against Woodley, for instance, he instantly drew that big right hand counter, uh, ducked underneath it, and really beat the shit out of Woodley for trying it <laughs> once. Uh, Kamaru Usman, he had the cross counter and like the uppercuts and the stepping knees to counter the jab and the takedown attempt. And here against Wonderboy, it was this immediate fence wrestling and drawing him forward. And as for Wonderboy, we definitely did see his win condition in this fight. Um, yeah. As Gilbert Burns started to like overdo the shifts, he ran into that classic straight counter. Uh, yeah, he, got he also dropped kicked. himself. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was like, he threw, a, so this was at the end of the first round as uh, Wonderboy broke from the clinch. He like intercepted him with like a big left hand. And then he threw a right hand while trying to shoot. It was the weirdest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. I don't think he actually punched himself. Yeah, like, yeah, it was, it was like incidental, and that's why people thought he actually dropped himself. Yeah. It just it looked really funny. Yeah, it was like the, the camera angle combined with like what he was doing made it look really stupid. But yeah, we definitely saw Wonderboy's uh, win condition. It's just that this wasn't the sort of fight that Wonderboy likes fighting. Even in even in the Luke fight, right? We saw Wonderboy like try to pile it on Luke like later after Luke got really really hurt by the counters, and every time he was in the pocket. He got hit very, very hard. Uh, he yeah. got left hooked for free. He got hit with cross counters for free. And here we saw like Gilbert Burns able to just wing shots back from like a, a shell. And Wonderboy could never really just get on him to show urgency. Uh, Wonderboy yeah. really needs the fight that he gets most of the time. And when he doesn't get it, it, it he struggles very, yeah. very thoroughly. I mean, that's essentially what we pointed out in the preview in that uh, Wonderboy style works really well when he gets the fight he wants it's a it's a beautiful style to watch when guys i just basically just pursue him and headhunt he looks like a wizard there yeah but uh, and also it relies on the mobility a lot uh, just basically just uh, ring generalship uh, dancing around the cage uh, exiting on angles but the problem is when the exchanges get a little bit deeper uh, because by, by the nature of his stance and uh, the way he holds his hands and the way his style works, he it's uh, pretty. You can hit him pretty consistently on on exit when uh, the exchange goes past the first layer. And also the limiting mobility thing is uh, that uh, the threat of uh, Gilbert Burns's wrestling basically just kind of like put a cap on how Wonderboy was able to move and the amount of offense he was able to mount against Burns. So it's just... Yeah, it's basically just can be summarized as uh, Gilbert Burns mixing the martial arts really well to uh, beat a specialist. Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of thing we're generally trying to catch and pitch uh, counter Wonderboy. It'd be a Herculean task, because Wonderboy, he's like... When you're trying to pursue him and, like, put up a high guard and catch and pitch him, it's not something that's going to work because Wonderboy is super diligent at angling out. But when Wonderboy has to show the initiative and start pushing guys back and start really piling volume on and, like, in this fight, he tried to, like, play with the jab and create openings in the guard. He just couldn't do it without getting hit because when he tried to pile it on and put more than one punch together, he just got hit. And when guys tried to yeah. counter him, it's just not something that he's... It's not the thing that he does. Uh, and... I mean, the threat of the wrestling also played a role, I'd say. 100%. Because, uh, because Wonderboy was basically just concerned about uh, becoming even, like, he became even more conservative after yeah. the after the uh, initial takedown and where he got uh, uh, pounded on a bit. 
Yeah, aside from like a minute in the third, this was all the worst moments of Wonder Boy, pretty much. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's understandable for sure. Um, yeah, Gilbert Burns, tremendous performance, I think. Um, I mean, especially considering how hard we considered Wonder Boy to be for his style. It was a, a clever, crafty, very Hooftian performance. And a lot of people found it boring. I thought it was fine. Um, yeah, it was. I think I thought it was fun while yeah. watching the fights. I don't know what. What's the reason why people thought this is boring, this is shit? Maybe it's I just because we're talking to each other and we can listen, and you guys can listen to I that. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Go, go yeah. listen to the commentary. It makes it, if you found it boring, we'll make it a lot more fun because we're very, very smart. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, I mean, anything else on this card? Ryan Hall made a fool of himself. Uh, um, Greg Hardy also got uh, starched. <laughs> finally. Finally. Taito Iwasa, you disgusting, disgusting man. We love you today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is Taito Ivasa week. Um, but yeah. Uh, like 15 shoeys in a row with people like spitting in there, in there like snorting in there. It's just disgusting. It's, it's, if, if it were anyone else, if it were anyone else other than Greg Hardy, I'd be disgusted with Taito Ivasa. But right now I have to support him. Yeah. You, 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 you uh, awful, ugly, sloppy, fat man, Taito Ivasa. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and also, it was a really fun statement he released uh, in the post-fight presser, I think, that, uh, yeah. oh, I Find didn't study for Greg Hardy at all. Yeah, I ju- I'm just fat and strong. <laughs> Have to support. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so Taito Ivasa with, I mean, I guess the best showing of his career because it wasn't gross and terrible. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, heavyweights, I support it. I can't be too mean to him today. Uh, Ilya Topuria beat the crap out of Ryan Hall, who, like, looked... I mean, I wouldn't say he looked worse than usual, because he always looks this bad. It's just that Toporia made him look like a complete <laughs> idiot. Uh, which, I mean, more uh, people should have done before this, but, you know, uh, Hall trying to do his spinny kicks and just bounced yeah. off Toporia. It was like a, one of, it was like a Vinicius Moreira fight, basically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I l- can't believe I didn't see the, the relationship on, like, the... Um, mm. The live commentary because it was pretty much exactly like that guy who can only grapple tries to throw a spin kick and gets marched down by that one dude. Um, I think it happened twice in a row for that dude. I don't yeah, know. That, that's the thing with Ryan Hall and all the fighters that uh, become like uh, that uh, get traction for their weirdness and that they're kind of like some kind of wizard that uh, like uh, stumbled upon the best way to fight or like the best way to implement some kind of like a singular type of martial art, the kind of thing that happened to Stephen Thompson with his karate as well, in that everyone just goes, oh, they're a wizard. Oh, they're just, they're on another level. They're doing doing something that uh, no one else can understand. And that's why, like, they're unsolvable. No, <laughs> they're just specialists. <laughs> and Ryan Hall especially, is, uh, he would, like, the, his whole game is an experiment. He was trying to prove some kind of a point, that his BJJ is, like, enough to actually survive in modern MMA in, at the highest level. It's kind of like a throwback to the 90s, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's like a specialist within a specialist, where, like, there are guys who are very good at jiu-jitsu, like Damian Maya, Jacare, mm-hmm. and they tend, to, they tend to struggle without getting takedowns. And Ryan Hall was like, hey, even within jiu-jitsu, what I'm really, really good at is leg locks. So why don't I just build a game around everyone being too mystified by the idea of leg locks to even come close to me? And... 
it worked embarrassingly well for a little bit against really old fighters who should have known better. Uh, but, you know, I guess experience is not always wisdom. Um, yeah, the thing is that about Demi and Maya is that Demi and Maya tried to learn MMA. He tried exactly. to put together a game. He tried to learn striking. That makes sense. He tried to learn wrestling. Ryan Hall did nothing, did, did none of that. <laughs> yeah, that's the most frustrating part about Jacare's career, too, is that, like, Damian Maya, he had tricks to wrestle guys who were bigger and stronger and even maybe better at wrestling than he was. He would, like, get on the single, and, like, pull half guard mm -hmm. and find a scrappy way to get to where he needs to be. Ryan Hall just tried to cheat his way through it, and Jacare just never even tried. And that's, like, the difference between a, a fun specialist and a boring specialist is you, you need to have ways to get to where you're going. And Stephen Thompson has straddled the line between those, uh, I'd say. But Ryan Hall is just way out there in like the the worst way that you can be a specialist. Uh, yeah, now that it's, good. You know, it's go really really arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> like now that he's proven to be not very good, I'd like to beat some fighters who other people think are good, but I don't think are good. Like if Ryan Hall ends up beating Korean Zombie, I would not be mad. But yeah, he's fine as an IQ test. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but he would not be Korean Zombie for what it's worth. He, he'd get pummeled. Uh, but <laughs> it, it's just it's just funny thoughts. Like imagine if Ryan Hall beat Yaya Rodriguez. That, that'd be something I'm fully on board with. Uh, but I think that's enough of that card. Not a ton of. Well, I mean, we've talked about it for 45 I minutes. Mean, but we yeah. we can just blitz for the remainder. I, I guess Irina Aldana also like uh, Starchy and Konitska with a really really good hook. Yeah, uh, like that was cool. Rarely rarely see. Like a really good hook among male fighters, and here's Arena Aldana, like landing a perfect left hook yeah. counter. She did it to Vieira too. It was nice. Yeah, Sean O'Malley looked like like a like an asshole. Oh, I forgot ag ag about that fight. Against a fucking like, like the bummiest bum. Like I'm sorry, Chris Moutinho. I've got nothing against I've got nothing against Chris Moutinho as a person or as a fighter, but let's call a spade a spade. The guy is just a bum that they found for Sean O'Malley to just bang on it's it's it, it was supposed to be a showcase performance and it was a really predatory matchmaking i have to add yeah basically just uh, found some guy who's not uh, good at mma at all and uh he, he he had his showcase performance but it was also like he got exposed at the same time <laughs> it's really bizarre and like so chris moutinho basically did uh the fucking Conor McGregor thing of blasting <laughs> naked low kicks and had success, which is also, which is embarrassing in itself. Then he was able to walk Sean O'Malley down with no footwork on Ringcraft, another embarrassment. And through like really janky leaping, like shifting hooks that like not hooks but more like swings and still connected on Sean O'Malley. <laughs> How? <laughs> How? Like, like you could... what? In the finishing sequence, Moutinho landed, which is wild, because Moutinho had taken, like, 9,000 punches right to the face. Like, like, no joke, 230, like, significant strikes taken to the face. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, okay, the dude is absolutely zombie durable. One thing I've heard yeah. is that he's, like, fought at flyweight before, which makes a, a nat... Well, I mean, O'Malley is hardly a natural bantamweight. He's bigger, I'd say. He was uh, a head taller, full head taller than Moutinho. Yeah, that makes this just really gross matchmaking that shouldn't have happened. Uh, but the fact that it did happen and Sean O'Malley still looked kind of... Okay, um, and not kind of. He looked bad. He looked like, he looked like an okay fighter. He looked like fighter. shit. 
but <laughs> you looked like shit. Let, let, like, let's be honest. <sighs> yeah, like I want to be kinder to a guy who put on like a, a record-breaking performance, but the fact that the record was against this dude, who like all all respect to Chris Moutinho, I don't want to be like mean for the sake of it. But short notice, like eleven days, natural, naturally quite small, not really on the same level technically. Uh, fought the right fight, like strategically, I'd say, which is like a credit to him. Like just, he tried. To- yeah, just didn't have the tools. He had yeah. the right ideas. And I couldn't help but root for Moutinho, really. Yeah. I mean, no. he tried to pressure and he tried to kick, which is like, it's it's a good idea if you had the tools to do it. But he just didn't, which is fine. Like, Sean O'Malley is, he's a, if nothing else, he's a really good athlete. Um, you know, not in terms of durability, but in terms of, like, speed and length. He's tough to deal with for a lot of guys. So, I mean, I'm not, like, mm. shitting on him for no reason. But this just wasn't a fight where Sean O'Malley yeah. could come out looking anything less than perfect and keep any of his yeah. credit. Like, uh, the onus was on Sean O'Malley to finish this quickly and, like, get a first-round knockout or something. Uh, and he didn't. Yeah. He had Moutinho in trouble multiple times and he still sat on his bicycle and pranced around. Which is just... Uh. And, uh, like, this is both... An, it's like one of those WMMA fights where... It's some kind of athletic girl versus some kind of soccer mom. <laughs> this is the male equivalent of that. It's just an embarrassment to both the UFC and to Sean O'Malley to put a fight like that on on, on the main card. On no the Conor less. McGregor card? Jesus. On the Conor McGregor card as well. And also, like, to... Yeah, it's it's a record-breaking performance uh, against a guy with, a, like, a, like a brick head and, uh, and, uh, and uh, without anything else. And also... The sheer fact that Sean O'Malley had this performance and had to be hospitalized and checked <laughs> for potential fractures in his hands, Wild. his right foot, and his lead leg. <laughs> How? What are you made of, Sean O'Malley? Like, the other day I made this joke that Sh- Sugar Sean O'Malley, is a, is a, as a nickname, is not a reference to Sugar Ray or even Sugar Rashad. It's a reference to the fact that Sean O'Malley's skeleton is made out of candy. <laughs> That's what it is. I mean, maybe if you were Dairy Sean O'Malley, you'd do a lot better. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it also makes the call-outs he made after the fight uh, very funny. Uh, I think, ultimately, he settled on Fob Ront, uh, which is <laughs> a great pun, I think. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, he talked about Peter Yan. He talked about Dominic Cruz. He talked about Cody Garbrandt. And he oh talked about God, Rob Font. Uh, yeah, Yan would be nasty. Uh, Rob Font would be incredibly nasty. Uh, Dominic Cruz, I mean, cardio, I guess. I don't know. Cruz also isn't great at this point. Uh, but Cody Garbrandt, I think, is winnable. But also, that's more of an embarrassment to Cody Garbrandt. Cruz, than like... uh, Cru- Cruz at least has cardio and has durability, even yeah. though he's old as fuck. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, I, I, I genuinely would not expect uh, Sean O'Malley to beat Casey Kenny. Uh, I think Kenny would probably beat the shit out of him. Um, but, you know, it's something. Um, I mean, Piotr Jan, at, at this stage, could basically just have the rematch with uh, Aljamain Sterling and then fight Sean O'Malley two minutes after <laughs> and beat, still beat. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm gonna, I, I have durability issues. I have a shitty gas tank. Uh, my style isn't suited for five rounds and I like have uh, the defense that's uh, insulated by my length and I still get tagged up by Chris Moutinho. Yeah, I'm gonna fight a pound for pound generational talent <laughs> in Piotr Jan, potentially the greatest, potentially the greatest bantamweight possible that's, uh, that uh, has ever been so far. I mean, even uh. Rob Font is like several levels <laughs> above where he is. And I mean, I love Rob Font, but like Rob, no one thinks Rob Font is like 
a future champion. He, he's great, I think. Uh, for Bantamweight, he's like a top five guy very solidly. But if you're going to sell Sean O'Malley as like this next guy who's really, really good and is going to be a champion, just because he sounds like a 12-year-old and has the tattoos that a 12-year-old would get, that, <laughs> that's not what... Like, uh, one point that I think uh, guys in our group chat made that's super secret and no, you're not invited, is that Corey Sanhagen is what people want Sean O'Malley to be is that someone who showed up super young beat up really great fighters and is a legit top contender like five or six years yeah and has a flashy style exactly has the neo footworky style has insane length um I mean earlier in his career his tattoos also look kind of bad because they were unfinished so I guess you have that too uh (laughs) but I mean now they look good now they're fine Uh, but before it went like halfway up his back and they look like a corset but (laughs) But yeah, you have, like, Corey Sanhagen is that guy. And even Corey Sanhagen ran into Aldermaine Sterling and struggled. So, I mean, if you're going to do, like, Rob Font versus Sean O'Malley, that's not the fight that you want to make for Sean O'Malley's development. Someone just as long, someone more developed offensively is going to pressure him. Someone who's just, I would say, like, a crazy durable fighter who got through, like, the Lineker fight and got hit very hard by uh, Cody Garbrandt without really folding whatsoever. Um but, yeah, I mean, if they want to make it, I wouldn't hate it just because I think Font is super cool. Might be my favorite Bantamweight, and he's lots of fun. Um, I mean, fuck it. Give him Font. Just give him Font. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> Font probably ends up fighting Aldo or Munoz after that fight. But if they want to do, like, O'Malley versus Ricky Simone, that'd be fun. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's it for this card. We've actually dragged this out to an hour, so very impressed with us. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, the next card doesn't have a ton to say, so I guess it's fine. Uh, Islam Mahacha versus Tiago Moises. Do you have any, like, especially you well, know, world-shaking reads on this one? Well, my world-shaking uh, read on this entire, like, card overall is that it's just one of those uh, fight nights, uh, Milwaukee-type cards, where I just can't, don't, can't really say anything specific about any of the fighters on it. Outside maybe Jeremy Stevens because he's he's old oh, and such a known such a known commodity and yeah. uh, also insane. <laughs> I mean, uh. yeah, I remember actually the, specifically from Milwaukee. I remember the last Milwaukee card was probably um, Ally Quinta versus Kevin Lee too, which had like four genuinely really good fights. Uh, incidentally, involving Rob Font, so that doesn't exactly make the point. But yeah, this is basically <laughs> like Fight Night Nebrahoma. Um, who who even knows? Um, but. Yeah, I mean, Islam Mahacha versus Tiago Moises. Uh, I've been relatively impressed with Tiago Moises as, like, a developing fighter. Uh, he walked into Benil Daryush in his UFC debut, and Daryush was at his very lowest, uh, got wrestled, which is not good news. But, um, you know, walked into uh, Demiris Magulov when his Magulov was, like, less known as a prospect, and his Magulov kind of beat him up. But he's, like, gutted through some tough fights. It's just that I don't think his ring craft is up to par. Uh, the Hernandez fight was a lot of fun, though, just because, like, a lot of what Tiago Moises does is, like, catch and pitch right hands, and that's pretty much all he did against Hernandez, and it worked. And the funny part was that, like, Moises' ring craft, like, the way he carries himself, it doesn't really work to, like, be, like, this commanding presence where everything mm-hmm. Alexander Hernandez does is, like, blustering, and, like, he wants to be, like, this, you know... Uh, really intimidating sort of fighter who, like, pushes guys back. And by the end of the fight, it was just reversed. Tiago Moises was sunning him. So it was great. Um, but uh, lots of weird stuff in this fight for um, 
Moises, you know, I don't think his ring craft is up to par. The ATT tendency to wall walk is really bad against Dagestani fighters, or not Dagestani fighters, but uh, wrestlers in the Khabib camp. It's not going to mm-hmm. work out super well. Uh, grappling from the bottom, not really a thing that uh, is going to work against Mahachev for one. And secondly, Moises has avoided getting tapped by strong grapplers, but I don't think that's going to be enough to win the fight. Uh, probably a Mahachev finish, but you know I'm hoping for I'm hoping Moises puts on a good performance. I've been surprised before by him. I didn't think he'd beat Bobby Green. I mean, yeah, go ahead. I guess uh, uh, like uh, uh, I could see uh, just uh, uh, Islam Mahachev uh, just like spending the entire fight on top and Tiago Moises uh, avoiding getting submitted. Very possible. But that's but that's essentially it. Uh, uh, like uh, Mahachev by decision seems to be like a safe pick here yeah like I don't really rate Mahachev as highly as a lot of people do I think he's going to struggle mm-hmm. when he gets to like the the, uh, the Charles Oliveros the Michael Chandlers oh no uh, I'm not I'm not yeah. really like super high in Mahachev either yeah like the, even the Justin Gaethje's a lot of people are doubting Gaethje's wrestling I think he probably beats Mahachev up um Dustin Poirier probably uh, uh, he's probably a bad matchup for Dustin Poirier to be honest, but uh, it's going to be a struggle True. getting there even through like the RDAs. I think that's a surprisingly tough fight for Mahachev. Uh, so yeah, <clears throat> I, I don't think Mahachev is like the definitive top five guy that people think he is, but I think he's a solid talent, probably like a clear top ten. And Thiago Moises is impressed as I have been by the things that he's been doing. It's more in context to who he used to be than anything like, you know, he's a contender. Uh, So, you know, I hope he has a good showing, but I think this is probably going to be a learning experience. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, like, what's interesting things that uh, Moises can offer to Makhachev on the feet? You said uh, catch and pitch counters, basically? Pretty much, Uh, like... I, th- I think the issue is that Moises can, like, get confident later in a fight when he's, like, in control the way he was against uh, Hernandez and even Green later. But early in the fight, Michael Johnson had a lot of success just pushing him straight to the fence. Um, Mahachev isn't, like, the most active pressure out there. He prefers to keep, like, a kicky distance uh, and, like, you know, kick. That's, like, most of what he does on the feet. But yeah. when guys just backed him up, I think Cajun Johnson just backed himself up instantly. Mahachev can take advantage. Uh, and... Moises probably needs a bit too much warm-up time to like get to doing any of the things that could maybe give Mahachev some annoyance yeah. to turn out annoying him. Yeah, and the thing about Mahachev's grappling, everyone just talks about his grappling. It's not like... Uh, it's really good, but it's not like the type of like insane, insane smothering, non-stop pressure that uh, Nurmagomedov had on top. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> which, is, which is why we saw... Uh, Drew Dober somehow survive uh, into the third round, despite being dominated from top, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and then and even then Drew Dober basically just got tired from uh, carrying Mahachev's weight on top of him and uh, kind of like submitted himself. <laughs> he he got choked out by his own muscles, just too jacked to survive. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think Mahachev is uh, uh, the way that a lot of people say, uh, put it is that. Nurmagomedov is, like, a bit more aggressive, a bit less conventional. Um, Mahachev yeah. is, like, a bit more like he's in a grappling tournament than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, um, like, it's, it's a way to fight, and I think, in general, being, like, a super strong wrestler top player is tough for a lot of lightweights. But I don't, I don't think this fight offers a ton of intrigue. Uh, I hope it does. I hope it ends up a lot more interesting than I think, and I really hope it ends up with a, a, a big upset because I've been 
kind of like I, I don't mind Mahachev. I think he's fine, but you know, it, it seems like a lot of people are taking the Dagestani or not, I don't know if he's Dagestani actually, the Russian guy who trains with Khabib and wrestles. Yeah, he's taking uh, that a bit he, too far. Yeah, he's uh, from uh, Mahachkala, which okay. is in Dagestan. Yeah, I don't want to assume because, like, you know, I know it's like. It could get yeah. weird. The, the, um, the thing is that uh, Nurmagomedov is an Avar. Uh, he's of uh, the Avar ethnicity. Hmm. And uh, Makhachev, on his, uh, his, his a lack. Uh, it's, a, it's also one of those, like, uh, like hundreds of uh, <laughs> sub-ethnicities that uh, live in, in the Caucasus region. It's, it's, it's a ridiculously linguistically and uh, ethnically diverse region, even though everyone looks the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of like it's kind of like Asia in a sense. Yeah, it's like <laughs> in how India respect. has like a bunch of different languages for each state. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think people are just kind of taking that association a bit too far. And Tiago Moises is a fighter who, at least in the fact that he's lost to several fighters, I really like. Uh, I want him to go far, but this this is going to be tough. Uh, is there anything else on this card that interests you at all? Uh. I mean, not really. I guess Misha Tate is back for some reason. <laughs> Jeremy Stevens versus the gamer. Yeah, Matthew Gamrot's Gamrot. fun. Yeah. Yeah, he's fun. I guess I'm rooting for Gamrot here. For sure. Because if, just purely because Stevens is is a psycho outside the cage and he's <laughs> not very interesting in the cage. Uh, Benitez Quarantillo, uh, Quarantillo could could turn out to be kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, I guess. I mean, Quarantillo uh, forces like a really high action fight, pretty much. So that yeah. could be something. He's like he's got the Nate Diaz noodliness to him, um, but yeah, I mean on Stevens Gamrod, I was a bit more impressed with Stevens's last performance than like any of his performances before then. Uh, he fought a, a genuinely sharp fight against Calvin Cater, but he's also been out for a year and is coming back up a weight class against a guy who's pretty capable on the back foot uh, and can wrestle him. So th- this seems like kind of a foregone conclusion to me. But you know, people like Stevens for some reason, so fair enough. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm judging because you, but not super hard. He's a gangster. Because he's a gangster. Yeah, and the thing, like, hot um, spicy I want Latina. To... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before we before we like um, sign off, I, I'd like to point out is that uh, the the thing about the Mahachev train is that there's like a lot of like fetishization of uh, fighters from the Caucasus in this fan base, which 100%. I find really weird. Yeah. And like and like Russian fighters in general or fighters from the central asian region or like the post-soviet region and people really do that without really like even bothering to learn about the geography the history and all that stuff everyone just pretends that all these dagestani fighters they're built different or like all these russian fighters they're built different guy from siberia or kazakhstan built different like like uh no it's just because the soviet union used to have a really like a really developed uh, system of developing athletes and it's just uh, it's what left and the reason why we still have these really good combat athletes from these regions is because that's the what what's left over from the soviet system it was really solid and so we have uh, the wealth of knowledge that the uh, soviets used to have that's why we, we, we've got many good fighters i mean there are some cultural aspects that uh, make i guess I guess uh, contribute to creating hard bastards, but uh, it's it's not the thing that many MMA fans uh, think it is. <laughs> and uh, frankly, I find it gross. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because there are a lot of fighters from like other parts of Russia too that are like really good. It's just that Dagestan gets through. And I think it's like kind of fair just because Abdulmanap uh, Nurmagomedov was like a genuinely very... Um, yeah. He, he shaped the, the combat sports culture there for, for the mm-hmm. better. Uh, and, you know, I think it's fair enough that people are like, hey, this guy left such a mark that the entire region has benefited from his influence. But it's also like... It, it's... It's a kind of blanket statement that never really works out. If you're looking at Mahachev as Khabib's mini-me, I think you're almost certain to be disappointed. Um, yeah, and it's also like, it's kind of, it kind of ties to the whole thing about, oh, fighters from uh, regions where life is hard uh, are always the best. <laughs> so like, like uh, when, if, if you're poor, you're going to make for a great fighter. <laughs> fighters from the favelas, like the other, guy, the other day, that's, uh, yeah. what's his fucking name? Like the coast-to-coast guy. So like, oh, fighters from the favelas and the gulags, <laughs> the best fighters in the world. And like, uh, if you if uh, if you're not a fighter, you just don't want it bad enough. Uh, like, yeah, I guess Anne Frank didn't want it bad enough. That's why he did, that's why she died to Nazis. <laughs> just leaving fighters and like or like leaving little children in the third world just so that they can make the journey over and be like <laughs> yeah. super hard, built different. Uh, it's just you know they realize that they're here to fight and that's their purpose yeah. in life. Um, and like, like the funniest thing is that he followed up like, look at at the map of the world. Fighters from Eurasia, Africa, and <laughs> South America and Central America are gonna be the next big thing. That's ninety percent of the, the world. world. <laughs> That's the entire fucking planet. It's Sorry. not like didn't didn't even list individual countries. Countries like he didn't even say like something like, oh, Poland is uh, like getting good at this MMA stuff. Maybe the next. Uh, a new champion at lightweight is going to be Polish. No. Literally <laughs> listed all the major land masses on the planet. Eurasia alone is like half the fucking planet. It's both Europe and Asia. <laughs> it's like... I just... There's a reason that a lot of like countries like Brazil, for instance, have such an established combat sports pipeline. And it's because the institutions exist. And yeah. fighters who are like people who can access those institutions, they're not going to be good just because they want to be good. And I think that's just, mm-hmm. it's a weird way to put it. Um, but yeah, I think that's it's like I think I think Ryan like came out saying that uh, the, re- the whole reason why we got so many cool Brazilian guys is just, it's, uh, just because guys like Pedernas and uh, Nova Uniao guys tried their best to make combat sports accessible yeah. for the people who live there. It, it's not about just because it's just weird fetishism. Yeah, <laughs> I find it gross. Basically, that's the extent of my thoughts on this whole thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. we also like we forgot also t- to touch upon uh, the worst fight we've ever seen: oh, Draco's Duplessis versus Trevin Giles. Oh. <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> it was so ass. It was the worst. I hated it so <laughs> much. The worst fight ever. The worst fight in the world. Oh, Fucking just. just and like Jack Slack also came out saying that Dirkus uh, Dreykus Duplessis is his favorite fighter now. Like a boy, like uh, why? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> what do what you see it, in him, what Jack? What does he do? I, I've, never, I've never seen two people look so stupid in a fight. I, like I've seen worse fights, <laughs> but I mean maybe it was just because like I was looking forward to the good fights. But that fight was just it was dire. Uh, fucking uh, Trevin Giles grabbed him by the by the by the wrist, started elbowing him, and just let go to get one two and, and <laughs> yeah. killed. Duplessis didn't do anything about his wrists being grabbed and getting elbowed. And then Trevin Giles let go for no reason. And Duplessis threw the jankiest, ugliest right hand I've ever seen in my entire life. 
and knock Giles out. <sighs> fucking trash ass fight. What the uh, fuck was it? I hate middleweight. Um, oh bad. god it's middleweight is the worst because it actually kind of tricks you into thinking that it's kind of good as a division yeah. but then it turns out that everyone in there is bad it's like uh, it's a preview of the light heavyweight and heavyweight divisions yeah it's like you look at robert whitaker and you're like hey this guy fights like he could be a lightweight and then you look at everyone else and you're like hey this guy fights like he wouldn't be in the ufc at heavyweight but, <laughs> yeah uh, I think that's enough for this episode. We've gone yeah. 67 minutes talking about like four fights, which I'm very impressed with us for. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining me, Tuman. Uh, this was it was really fun. Yeah, uh, I mean, what what can you do when the there's uh, when the schedule for the UFC for the upcoming summer is so dire? Basically, yeah. just talk shit about everyone, just make fun of stuff. Pretty much, <laughs> like they really did expend all their capital in the spring. They had like. Um, well, they had Holloway in the winter. They had, like, Adesanya and Blahovich and, like, Oliveira yeah. and Chandler and, like, Poirier now, sure. But, like, it's just... They, they spent a lot of their, like, action fighters in the spring, too. And now it's just a bunch of yeah guys. The the next pay-per-view is going to be Lewis versus fucking Gunn. F- fucking Lewis versus Gunn. And uh, just... Oh. And then, I guess, Sanhagen Dillashaw is going to happen That's in July. That's a good fight. Uh, Strickland versus Hall, main eventing in the like. That could the be next okay. UFC on ESPN. Eh, I guess it's it's gonna be like fine. Cannonier versus Gastelum could be fine. Well, it's not not nothing that uh, really would. Uh, nothing you know, that jumps out at you, yeah. Yeah, nothing that blows your socks off. <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh, but thanks for joining us, everybody. Go check out the uh, the site, first of all, thefightsite.com. Uh, yeah, go check out uh, the YouTube channels. Go check out the rest of the podcast. And, yeah, uh, check out the Patreon We where Ed releases stuff like resume reviews, bad calls. And uh, recently, me and Fenio recorded a, like, a really like uh, a marathon of cool welterweight three-rounders just for fun. Sounds it's, awesome. Uh, for, at the $3 tier. It, yeah, it's just... Uh, cool, stupid fights. Nothing like uh, not not the greatest fights of all time. Just fun fights. Stuff like uh, I don't know, like um, Matt Brown versus uh, versus what was his name? Versus uh, Jordan Eric Mean. Silva? Oh, Silva's and, the legendary yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, Silva's the legendary one. Uh, Jordan Mean was also a fun fight. Like Matt Brown is is like, how can I find a way to elbow this guy's face off when the guy's like turtling yeah. <laughs> and he elbows his face off still didn't he el- end up elbowing him in the body or was that someone else yeah he el- he elbowed him in the kidney really really hard <laughs> in the finishing sequence it was sick yeah that was really fun check this out Ch- check that thing out when it comes out and uh, also check out Tengridome where for my extended thoughts on McGregor versus Poirier and all the other fights that uh, we d- didn't have time the t- nor the time nor the desire to cover on this podcast and also sometimes i cover like big big thinking conceptual topics about like uh, economics and institutions and all that stuff so probably gonna the next episode is probably gonna be that yeah uh, yeah and uh throw um, any other plugs do you have anything that, that's uh, gonna no. come out I can't think of anything. I've kind of just been winging it, and the schedule's kind of too bad to, to plan things out super in advance, <laughs> honestly. Um, you know, just keep listening to the podcast, I guess, if you're listening. Uh, thank you for making it to the end. And, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. <laughs>